Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Pullist for comics coming out June 6th, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And this is the show where we talk about all the new comics out this week. Oh, boy. We got a bunch. Oh, boy. Yeah. And if you watch our video version, you'll see us talk about some of our big number ones this week. Wait, before we get to any of that, though, Tucker... Have you seen Solo? I have seen Solo. I went with my tiny little baby bro, who's actually like six foot four uh, and not tiny at all. But I went and had a great time. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. When when did you see it? Weekend I came out like a real Star Wars fan. Okay. Like the, the normal, real, true Star Wars fans who see the movie within, you know, the couple of days it opens like a true Star Wars did fan. Did you go with the Mrs.? Of course. She's a bigger Star Wars fan than I am. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Very much so. Yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Excited. Also excited because we got so many books out this week. We got to start going into them mm-hmm. with the print issues. And you know what? We got our first pick of the week wow. right off the bat. Wow. Yes. Jamie has picked Ant-Man and the Wasp number one as her pick of the week, which we will dive into deeply on This Week in Marvel later this week. But for us to talk about it here... I want to give you some information about this book because it is tremendous. It was also one of my potential picks of the week. I think you loved it too, Tucker. Oh, yeah. And is written by Mark Wade, art by Javier Garon, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by Joe Caramagna. So this is a six-issue limited series that is sort of bringing together Scott Lang and Nadia Van Dyne, the Ant-Man and the Wasp, currently in Marvel Comics. And it's it's cool. If you are reading Infinity Countdown, this really shows you what's going on uh, with Scott. Because he joined the Guardians. He went into space. He was going to get into some shenanigans. Immediately regretted it. Mm-hmm. And there are some touch points in this week's Infinity Countdown, number four, which connect to this issue. But really... Scott's in space, and he needs to get home. And who does he call? Someone who hates his guts. Mm -hmm. Nadia does not like him. There's great interactions, great banter. It's a lot of fun, and it is freaking gorgeous. Yeah. Looking at an issue like this, it just makes me think, like, how did this not take, like, three months to draw and to color and tank and everything? It just looks so incredible. For me, though, it's all about Nadia. Like, one of the big emerging stars from comics uh, over the last couple of years coming out of the Unstoppable Wasp, looking at that specifically, like, people loved that so much. So it's so much fun to see her back like in a starring role yeah. in this in this series. Unstoppable Wasp, easily one of my favorite books of the last couple of years. If you have not read it, please, please, please do yourself a favor and check it out. Also check this out again. Jamie and I will be talking more about Ant-Man and the Wasp, number one on This Week of Marvel. Next up, we have more Ant-Man and the Wasp action coming with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Living Legends, number one. It's written by Ralph Macchio with art by Andrea DeVito, colors by Laura Villari, and letters by Travis Lanham. We've seen this creative team uh, recently. They did a Black Panther story that was so much fun, and it's kind of all about embracing the legacies and traditions and histories of these characters and just nailing it on the head in such a fun way. This was super fun to read, especially having just read the new Ant-Man and the Wasp number one, because just seeing those dynamics, this issue embraces the dynamic between Scott and Janet as opposed to Scott and Nadia. But we get a really old school, just comic book in the way that it touches on the history of the Ant-Man and his origin story, but also just kind of has this great kind of like 
old school serial aspect to it where it's like they team up, there's a flashback, there's like kind of an alien call for help, there's a call to action and they go and they do their thing. It is so much fun to see these characters interact in just like the perfect Ant-Man and the Wasp dynamic and story just all encapsulated in one great issue. Yeah. You know, there's a good reason for it to feel so old school throwbacky in, in all those good ways because one, Ralph Macchio, longtime Marvel writer mm-hmm. and editor, worked here for about 30 years, wow. still writing books for us. And this issue is actually a follow-up to 1963's Tales to Astonish number 49, which I was for some, I don't really know why, but I was looking at this last week and on the cover it has the living eraser and it's this the cover is really cool because this character is erasing parts of giant man's body and i remember looking at it going oh that's gnarly i wish i wish we did something with that character because it's a cool power it's a mm-hmm. cool trip and trope and boom this issue lands in the stack and we read it i was really uh, really excited because you get this, this romp to dimension z very old school yeah, yeah. living eraser and then their you know team up stuff to it it was it's a lot of fun Oh, yeah. Next is Astonishing X-Men number 12. This is the farewell to Charles Soule's run on this series. It has been such a good time. Uh, You know, I feel like he really captures the spirit of the X-Men unlike almost any other. He is so great. It is written by Charles with art by Gerardo Sandoval, colors by Eric Arciniega, and letters by Clayton Cowles. This is the finale of A Man Called X, and we jump into this story with a classic X-Men villain, the Shadow King. And he's visualized by Gerardo in such a gnarly, gross, intense way. The art in this issue is, as, you know, has been one of my favorite elements of Astonishing X-Men in this run, has been, it's just so kinetic. You can feel the energy. I mean, in like page number two, there's this kind of splash of, a montage of different events happening with the introduction of Shadow King. He's like spewing this. Can I can I say what I wrote down? Yeah. Uh, he is vomiting poisonous soul juice on the <laughs> X-Men. Yeah. And it just looks so like gross and just, ugh. Uh, you can really feel it coming off the page here. But essentially what's going down is what's called the mind killer apocalypse has been unleashed on the world. And the X-Men are doing their best to keep up. There is some really great stuff with my man, Bishop, one of my favorite X-Men. But it's really cool because each X-Men kind of gets their chance. They, they get their own little moment in the spotlight. It, you know, it's not, it's not a finale in any other way. It's, it's you know, Charles is writing a, a little bit of his own farewell. It's, it's hardly an end for the story or for this team or these characters in any big way because, as we all know, and we're so excited, Matt Rosenberg is taking over Astonishing X-Men. But, you know, he, he is giving each character their moment in the spotlight. And through that, they really emerge from these individuals into the team. And there are some really big threads that are tied up, but the new status quo established is even more exciting than the last. And there's some really, really big 
stuff happening here with the man called X, with the X-Men, with the team, with the team dynamic, with certain powers of uh, certain team members. And I'm really excited to see where uh, we go from here in the future. But I've appreciated the hell out of Charles's run on Astonishing X-Men. I thought it, it's been such a fun ride. Yeah. I love mixing some metaphors into a tasty word gumbo. Yes. Because uh, you tying up some threads and opening up some doors. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the next arc of Astonishing that Matt and Greg Land are taking on is going to be completely different. Right. But these characters can be plucked and used in, in various ways. And I, yeah, I love what you were talking about with Gerardo because he draws is big, big characters. There's a very Joe Matarea vibe to his art of the way he draws fingers and size of characters. There's like some Gambit stuff in here, which brought me right back to like Uncanny X-Men 350 time period. Somewhere around there, there was some cool Gambit stuff, like Gambit looking stuff. Nothing was ever cool with Gambit. <laughs> but Gambit looked cool when drawn by Joe. And it was just really neat. And yeah, the, the spider version of Shadow King. Mm -hmm. Awful. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it freaks me out so much. It's so great. All right. Up next is Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, number 19. Uh, this one's got family drama. It's got the power of Citarac, Kane versus some mindless ones. Peter David just consistently makes the action and the drama move very quickly. He gets a story going, ramps it up, and just pushes it. Go, 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 go. Uh, he is the writer on this issue. Art by Andre Lima Orojo. Uh, with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Unfortunately, it says Will Sliney is the artist in the credits page. That is not true. Andre Lima Orojo is the artist on this issue, and you can tell because he's got such a distinct style. And when you team him with Rochelle Rosenberg, who her colors just look so good, and you've got this weird unknown dimension where Kane is fighting the mindless ones. It's pinks and purples and yellows and popping reds. But inside this temple, you've got Mysterio and his daughter and Ben Riley and shenanigans and death and stabbing and blood and sacrifices and just love it. It works really well for all the mystic stuff. And I think this story could have been three or four issues longer if they wanted to. There's so much that they could tell, but it's so compact and go, 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 go. I really appreciate that from a team like this. As this series has dealt a lot with Mysterio and his daughter and, and that kind of different version of Mysterio, where does Mysterio fall for you in like the pantheon of Spider-Man villains. What do you like when you think of him? What do you think? I think of someone of Spider-Man punching him in his stupid bull head <laughs> and cracking the stupid yeah. bull head, but ultimately always tricking Spider-Man. Right. Like he's cool in that sense that you always think he gets beaten, but he, a lot of times it's illusion and it's trickery and it's, a very slippery villain, mm -hmm. which I think is cool. Is you know, I, I I think he is not powerful. He's not terribly smart, but he's very elusive, right? Uh, which right. is which is cool and, and makes him a recurring problem to Spider. Right, right, awesome. What about you? I think of the wrestler. Oh, Rey Mysterio, yes. uh, famed uh, <laughs> WWE fan, wonderful human being, sweet, sweet guy. Oh, yeah. yeah he's that, great. That's what I think of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 619. Uh, all right. On to Captain America number 703. This is written by Mark Wade. Man, Mark is up in here yeah. this week. Art by Leonardo Romero with Alan Davis and Mark Farmer. Colors by Jordi Belair with Irma Nivilla. Letters by Joe Caramagna. This is more of the future story, and now they are dealing full-on with a Red Skull problem. And there's this, this part in it where to save 
the world from alien warlords. The Kree have been sort of harvesting humanity for their own ends. Jack Rogers, this descendant of Steve Rogers, has done kind of the unthinkable. He's unleashed the Red Skull from this, this sort of prison that he's in. Would you do that, Tucker? Would If you saw aliens coming down and you had the opportunity to unleash a horrible nightmare villain who was going to auto- right away fight those world-conquering evil space aliens, what do you do? Well, this is like a this is a really interesting kind of philosophical question of like the evil you know. I'll, I'll bring up multiple idioms here: the evil you know, the lesser of two evils, or uh, you know the the enemy of my enemy. You know. It's an idiom gumbo. We're we're eating a lot of gumbo this week. Ooh, tasty. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I might just say, like, alien overlords take me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know what? You know what? You know what? I would definitely do is just, like, take the easy way out. I would just, like, put on, like, an antique suit of armor and, like, go run on a golf course during a thunderstorm. Or just, like, dive into a tiger pit and be like, bring it, tigers. Those are definitely the easy ways <laughs> yeah, to that's go. Yeah, that's what I would do. And, uh, you know, just leave it up to everybody else. Yeah. We, unfortunately, are not the ones making these decisions. <laughs> we get to see what Jack does and, and the repercussions of his what he, he puts forth. I really love the way Leo draws Red Skull. He draws him with this big cranium, big brow. It makes him look more inhuman and and monsterly than Mm -hmm. you normally see him, which I think works very, very well. But chaos and calamity, and it's all, Jack is doing all of this for his son, uh, and there's this like bubbling undercurrent of something special that is going to happen. I really hope so. And then we get a little bit of a flashback by Alan Davis and Mark Farmer uh, and Imra Navila to uh, an older Cap story, which is neat. Another really great issue that was almost one of my picks of the week this week was Dazzler X-Song number one. Uh, And this was super fun. There's a lot of great mutant action happening this week between Dazzler, X-Men Gold, X-Men Red. This one specifically, I felt, had a a really interesting kinship with X-Men Red. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But whereas X-Men Red has its certain perspective on mutant relations to the rest of the world, so does this one. But this one, I feel like, is on a much more ground level perspective. And, you know, it deals a lot less with superheroics and things like that. That's certainly a big element of it. But it deals more with real life and music and going to concerts and like dealing with jerks, you know, as opposed to the kind of global political side of things that the X-Men Red deals with, which is also so awesome. But it's great to see these issues tackled from this perspective. Uh, And it's done so well by the writer Magdalene Visaggio. And the art is so great, which is by Laura Braga. Colors are by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by Joe Sabino. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a really interesting angle going on here, essentially, from the off, which is mutant discrimination against the Inhumans, which is a really interesting take that I feel like I haven't seen that much of. On um, this level, of yes. course, we had Inhumans versus X-Men. Yes. I, was, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, we, we saw it on this big, like the big leaders of the groups fighting amongst each other, but we never, we didn't get to see as much of like, hey, I'm just this, this kid with these weird powers and I just want to live a normal life mm-hmm. and you're the same, but you're a mutant, I'm inhuman, and, and how that how they interact. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of all set around this kind of, like, music concert scene. And there's some really great, 
moments when Dazzler's performing, the visualization of her performance, of the people dancing in the audience and things like that is so much fun. Uh, a certain nice guy who is, he's got big things on his plate. He's getting ready to get married. He pops up and has a, a really great, really meaningful interaction uh, with Dazzler. Uh, as someone who doesn't have a, a grand knowledge of like Dazzler and specifically like the golden era of Dazzler, I was really curious to know a little bit more from your perspective about like when you think of this character, what are kind of what are her overarching themes? Like what is she known for in terms of her characterization and, and, and her place kind of uh, among the, the legion of mutants? You know, she's she's floated a lot. She's been around. I mean, she arrived in like the the heyday of of Uncanny X Men, right? And so she also arrived after the heyday of Disco, but right. was a Disco character to start. So there was both love and hate for her, and she's kind of been a symbol of empowerment and love by the LGBT community, mm-hmm. which I. Adore her yeah. uh, for that. And I think the part of her is like light and positivity and hope has always been mm-hmm. sort of part of what she is. She has that to an extent. I don't want to compare her to David Bowie, mm-hmm. uh, but has that transformative element to her right. where she moves her career, her persona, her art mm-hmm. transforms as she does. And I think that's a really interesting thing for a comic book character. Yeah. In that she remains who she is, but can sort of fit into different roles and niches as she goes along. This is also really important because this issue bridges the gap between where we last saw her, mostly was A-Force, part of this wonderful team, wonderful book that Kelly Thompson wrote, G. Willow Wilson was working on as well. And there's a moment in this book where you see a Mjolnir. In yeah. her car or van or whatever yeah. it was. And it's very, it's an aside. So if you have, don't know what that is, go check out the A-Force series from 2016, I want to say. Mm. There was an A-Force series during Secret Wars. And then there was a follow-up, which took some of those characters. And then en- ended up taking a Dazzler version of Thor, who came through this the multi-dimensions, the Thor limited series. She popped up in the pages of A-Force. And there was great back and forth between them because it was it was our Dazzler looking at a Dazzler who was above and so much more. She had right. sort of transcended things. And this bridges that gap, putting her here, where she's been, and then where she's going into the pages of Astonishing X-Men. Uh, and this is the first book by Mags Visaggio for us, which was terrific. Yeah. Really, really excited to have yeah. this. Up next is a big number one for this week. It is Deadpool number one. Written by Mr. Scotty Young. And so the main story has got art by Nick Klein. And Nick does all the art himself. Uh, And then there's the secondary story by Scotty Young with art by Scott Hepburn. Colors by Ian Herring. uh, Letters on all this by Jeff Eckleberry. And it's cool because I think we're going to see this double team of artists, uh, Nick and Scott Hepburn, working together with Scotty. I'm very much looking forward to it. This is a a, a very hard, almost reset of Deadpool, very different from the Deadpool we've had the last few years, presumably, as far as I know, moving away from the emotionally devastating things Mm -hmm. that Jerry Duggan and team were doing. Hopefully, it don't get my heart broken every issue. It's really cool, though, because this is the same character, and it's so clever and so just perfect how 
Jerry's run finished up because we can get this fresh start with the character, but also we know. Like, we know what's happened to him. Everything we, counts. It, it's all in the backlog there. Yeah. And so there are going to be moments, I'm sure, where it's just like things will pop up and they'll mean a lot to us. And they might not even mean a lot to Wade Wilson. But uh, it's so cool to import all of that into this new story. Yeah. And so it's Wade back to business, back to basics of him being a merc, wanting to make some money, taking on jobs. And he's not alone. There's some fun to be had with him with Negasonic Teenage Warhead. And they make some jokes about her place in his universe and the you know the movies and everything like that. Scotty mentions in his letter at the back of the book that they're going for fun, fast, brutal, and hopefully funny. It is all these things. Uh, it feels like a, a really solid Deadpool book for fans who have come in from the movies who want a Deadpool that feels familiar to them, but also plays around with all the stuff that's made hardcore comics fans love the character for years. It's crass and it's silly, very violent. It's gorgeous. Uh, Nick Klein and Scott Hepburn uh, for their parts do fantastic art. There's this one double page spread that Nick does right in like sort of the middle of the book, which holy mackerel, it is drawing this spaceship which I didn't realize was a spaceship at first. I thought it was a dude on a bike. Right, but right. it's essentially a celestial riding a giant celestial-sized space hog. <laughs> you know, like a space hog. It causes Star-Lord to cry yeah. because it's so intense and, and horrifying to him. It's fantastic. It's really, really good. Excellent start to Deadpool. Another big, huge, awesome number one is Doctor Strange number one, which is Mr. Mark Wade. This is a busy man. Uh, he's a writer with wonderful art by Jesus Saiz and letters by Corey Petit. Had to get it in there. Oh, yeah. Right away. This is one of my picks. Hot dog. Oh, yeah. I won't go too far into it, but here's the premise. The magic of planet Earth has been exhausted. And in Stephen Strange <laughs> in a world without magic. Well, actually, the magic is there. Strange just can't see it. He is kind of something weird's going on with his eyes. He has cataracts. Uh, <laughs> not literally, but it's Doctor Strange's space. That's all I'll say. It's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, this is the story of how Strange has to get his groove back. And like we were talking about last week with Daniel Cunha or uh, Fraser Irving uh, or even Nick Klein this week. These are artists working on all aspects of of the art craft for the issue. And man, Jesus Saiz, uh, he is special. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an element to his art, which is both warmth and evocative of giving you nightmares. Right, yeah. And, in, in great ways. It's so cool. I will get into that more on This Week in Marvel later this week because it is tremendous. All right. Next up is Hunt for Wolverine, colon, Weapon Lost, number two, written by Charles Soule, art by Matteo Bufagni, with colors by Jim Charlampitas and letters by Joe Sabino. The end of this issue has a, oh, whoa, or like a, (laughs) whoa. Last part of this issue has such a moment where I just, it, it got me. I was not expecting what happened at the end of this issue. But, man, there's lots to love in this book. Uh, Frank McGee being sweet on Misty Night. Mm-hmm. But who wouldn't be? Poor Cypher's internet addiction, the detectivizing of stuff that all the characters go through, and the creepy leads of the mystery 
maybe Wolverine that they're looking for. But again, the end of this book, holy smokes. Uh, Jamie said something uh, great to me about it this morning. She said it, it felt like an episode of X-Files. And I yeah. so agree. Yeah. Uh, it was so much fun. But whew, strap in, folks. Ring it one million times. This next issue is so far my favorite issue of comics anywhere, anytime that I've read in 2018 so far. And I big timed you by picking it <laughs> yep, as my pick. That's true. Even though you already picked it as well, <laughs> it is my pick because I want to talk about it more on this week in Marvel and yeah. depth. But I'm just go to town. Okay. Go to town, talk. It's the Immortal Hulk number one. The creative team on this is Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, Roy Jose, and Paul Mounts. Cover by Alex Ross and Alex yep. Ross, his covers for this issue are going to be standout. This is my favorite cover of the week mm -hmm. and it's going to be that way for the foreseeable future, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. I feel like this could be the character, the iteration of Bruce Banner, the series that Al Ewing was born to write because he jumps into it so incredibly well. I mean, it takes no time whatsoever to get into the story, to get into the heart of what he's going to explore here, which is embracing the this man, this monster concept of the Hulk and of Bruce Banner. The first page is a quote from Carl Jung, and it says, Man is, on the whole, less good than he imagines himself or wants to be. The whole issue, one, has incredible action, incredible monstrous weirdness, uh, and just hard, intense realism to it it's just such an intense read in, in the best ways so it has the action it has the incredible narrative but it also is kind of a great philosophical exploration of a concept that you know is so vital for a great bruce banner hulk story because it's essentially and it pops up in multiple ways throughout this story but it's essentially about what you wish was true versus what actually is true and there are a couple different characters that deal with that concept in this story. But my experience with this issue is encapsulated between two back-to-back two-page spreads. Uh, I don't want to talk about them too yeah, much because I don't know. I don't want spoilers. But, if, if you listen to this uh, before you get your books, yeah, I, I like okay, one two-page spread, incredible, loved it so much. Turning the page, expecting like okay, how are we gonna perceive it? And it's another one, and. Literally, it just made me giggle and like gave me goosebumps. It was just so huge and epic and scary. And oh man, I haven't been this excited for a series in a very, very long time. Cannot wait for more Mortal Hulk. Heck yeah. And it's career defining work so far from Joe Bennett, maybe. Right. Yeah. Just like unbelievable. Crushing. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. All right, next book is Infinity Countdown, number four of five issues of this limited series. Number four. Yeah. Oh, that's my pick of the week. It sure is. Almost one of my picks as well. Uh, it was written by Jerry Duggan, pencils by Aaron Cooter and Mike Hawthorne, inks by Aaron Cooter, Terry Pallet, and Jose Marzan Jr., colors by Jordi Belair with letters by Corey Petit. Whew. Whew. So... Aaron Cooterman, what an artist. We roll up into his first page on this issue, and it is this massive splash. It's a single splash page, but mm -hmm. it feels like 10 feet the tall. The scale is huge. Just incredible. And you see it's a version of Nowhere. It is his depiction of Nowhere. 
the giant celestial severed celestial head space station base for so many people and the level of detail that he goes into here i don't understand how mm-hmm. one man draws this yeah you know obviously he's got other people working on this and this you know not alone in uh in the coloring and, and really depicting of this whole thing but wowie wow 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 so good and we see so much more of what's going on on uh nowhere there's this aftermath of the battle for the power stone the guardians show up on nowhere and everybody's sort of hemming and hawing about who gets to take the power stone uh, and it's a lot of really great arguments of hey nova wants it because he wants to use it to take down the raptors and find his brother gamora wants it because gamora wants it yeah. uh, the novas want it because they're like no one should have that it's too powerful and it has a great moment where drax kicks everyone's asses with his saxophone yeah and he says you know what you're all dumb i'm taking this over here figure it out yeah it's so good yeah it's so perfect he he, like there's no violence or anything he's just like i'm drax if you want to try and take it from me go ahead but i don't recommend you do (laughs) but you know he blows some sick notes on that sax oh yeah and everybody's like oh what are we gonna do (laughs) the coloring on that ish that page you have this wonderful depiction of drax yelling who's saying i'm sick of yelling uh drawn by aaron cooter but the colors there by jordy belair oh so good it's this purple this like pink and yellow and popping with his green again groot in here as we've talked about last couple of issues he's a more talkative groot Mm -hmm. which is great but this one has Maybe my favorite moment of the week, which is when alternate reality versions of two dead guardians show up and they look awesome. I I heard about these characters a while ago. I've been keeping them secret, waiting for them to show up. And they show up here and they're freaking badass. And they take an infinity stone from a bunch of other characters. I should let you talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. For me, it was really interesting because, one, it does so much work for the Infinity Countdown storyline in in really great ways. But more than that, it felt kind of like a, a really interesting Marvel Comics generational story. Like you said, because the Guardians of the Galaxy are so front and center with this series and just in the larger Marvel Universe in the present day. But looking back, talking about those two characters you just mentioned, and then a couple other characters, specifically I'm thinking about as we get to the end of this story, certainly won't want to spoil anything, but some big stuff goes down. Some status quos are changed, some status quos are reestablished in really, really fun ways. But it felt like these major players from, you know, the history of Marvel Comics coming together, interacting in this storyline with the Guardians, who are, of course, such major players in the current day. Uh, It was the perfect combination of that perfect combination of an Infinity Countdown story. So excited to see where this will continue to spiral out of control as we move closer to Infinity Wars. But uh, yeah, loved this issue. Yeah, and there's a a moment with Adam Warlock and Silver Surfer that in some ways mirrored the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline, which I really, really loved. And that like callback and the tone and the aspects of that. And man, the, yeah, the ending of this issue, Mike Hawthorne crushing it uh, with his art and Jerry just hitting you emotionally. It's it's one panel is funny. One panel is a heartbreaker. One panel is big action. He just hits all those notes so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tucker, the uh, the Nova Corps, they got to staff up mm-hmm. just like we do. I mean, I, I've I've hired many people, including yeah. me. 
Oh my gosh, that's true. What was I thinking? It chills me to the bone to think about it. Fortunately for us, this week's episode of Marvel's The Pullist is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. That's right. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. Yeah, I mean, you could get a bunch of aliens if you're the Nova Corps, and they're going to probably be really great. Yeah. But... You need to whittle them down, and ZipRecruiter is the service that helps them figure that out. ZipRecruiter, so, so effective. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within a day. I don't know how that translates to space time, light years, and all that stuff. It's probably even quicker up there. It's amazing. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America, probably also in the galaxy. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash week. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-E-E-K. ZipRecruiter.com slash week. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So we go from outer space, from far across the Marvel Universe, and then we think of it and visualize it we zoom through space we're approaching the uh, the virgo supercluster and then we get to uh the milky way and then we get closer to planet earth and what's that that's the moon and that brings me to moon girl and devil dinosaur that was 31. a huge journey in so many ways <laughs> uh the the this is a team effort the plot is by brandon montclair and amy reader the script is by amy reader Art is by Ray Anthony Height. Colors by Tamra Bonvalon. And letters by Travis Lanham. This is a really great kind of anti-smoking story. Uh, and uh, I saw you and Jamie spoke with Brandon and Amy on This Week in Marvel. And you talked about this issue uh, and what it means. And it was really interesting to see Brandon talk about how he wanted to channel kind of the after-school specials, but put it into the Lunella Lafayette voice and put it into the tone and world of this book. And I thought it worked so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like those things have a, a strange kinship in the best way. But yeah, this was a really, a really fun issue, but also, as you guys also spoke about on This Week of Marvel, and I highly recommend if you uh, listeners haven't seen that, go check it out. It's, it's a really great uh, interview. It also is very meaningful and, and really powerful. It's talking about some really important real-world stuff. I've had the opportunity to talk with the editor of this book, Chris Robinson, about what uh, his inspiration was for it. And I think he came up with the concept and pitched it to Brandon and Amy and, and the team. Uh, and I thought it just came off so well. I think this is this is some work that feels totally in place with these characters. Yeah. A hot take right here mm-hmm. for everybody listening. I think smoking is gross mm-hmm. and it bums me out if you smoke. Yeah. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. But that said, I fully understand the struggle that smokers go through. Yeah. And know sure. that quitting ain't easy, but sure. uh, I just want y'all to quit or never start. Take some inspiration from Lunella. All right. Rise of the Black Panther, number six, is out this week. There's the final issue of this six issue limited series written by Evan Narciss. Consultant is Tanahasi Coates. Art by Javier Pina. Colors by Stefan Petru with Maury Hollowell and letters by Joe Sabino. Uh, this has got. Your Eric Killmonger, mm-hmm. he's up in here. Uh, this is really, I think, cool seeing this full story completed. Uh, it stands as a really crucial and fantastic Black Panther story telling how Wakanda was revealed to the world 
and how T'Challa made that decision, why he made that decision. I'm really glad that Evan got to write it uh, because he pulled in so many threads that made sense and brought them all together uh, in, in such a perfect way. Different writers had different stories, different characters, whether it was Priest or Tanahasi or Don McGregor or whomever. So many different elements that Evan was able to pull together. I just I love these types of stories that you can now give to someone and say, oh, this is this is really a definitive early Black Panther story that takes so much uh, and distills it down into what you need to know. Uh, it, it wraps the arc, but sets up so much for the future. It's a Killmonger story, a hint at future relationships, Shuri being so awesome. And uh, it's got so much of what you want. I know you want it. We have so many number ones this week, and one of them is called Spidey Schools Out number one. And it is a comicsology exclusive digital first book that you can check out on Comixology and Comixology Unlimited. And it is written by Mr. John Barber, former uh, Marvel editor, wonderful gentleman with art by also another wonderful gentleman, Todd Nock, and colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. You know what? I just love all these people. Everybody involved in this book, sweethearts. And uh, it basically is this cool mashup of the stories that you know from the comics and the characters and stuff. If you've seen the movies, you're really familiar with some of those things. So you've got Peter Parker, last day of high school, and he's going to Stark Camp. It's a super nerdy camp, and he goes there. You see him with his friends, Gwen and uh, Harry, and then his Aunt May takes him to the Stark Camp. He meets a character named MJ, and uh, she's very smart and very sarcastic. And then you see uh, Ganke, who you know from Ultimate Spider-Man, and, and the Shocker's in it, and it's, it's cool. It's a very interesting mix of all the different things that you know from Spider-Man in the last couple of years, and it makes it work really well, especially because Todd's art is so good at drawing kids. Uh, he's got that youthful exuberance that he exudes in real life. He puts on the page, and it's it's a lot of fun. Next up, we are going to one of my favorite places in the world, and that's a galaxy far, far away in Star Wars number 49. This is the finale of Mutiny at Moncala. It has been such a fun journey to the water planet of the squid people that I love so much, that so many Star Wars fans love so much. The home planet of the It's a Crap himself. Uh, I mean, sorry, It's a Trap himself. Admiral what? Akbar. Um, uh, I used to have a sticker on my toilet at home that was a picture of Admiral Akbar, and it said, it's a crap. Oh, my God. <laughs> that explains so much of why you're so broken. <laughs> this is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Clayton Cowles. It's always so fun to see the kind of odyssey, the space adventure that uh, we've come to expect in this series and that angle on the classic Star Wars crew. But this issue is very much in line with everything Star Wars that we know and love, but also a unique kind of take from what we've seen in certainly in recent issues. Essentially, what I mean is the whole story is a space battle. The team, Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, R2, 3PO and this changeling that they've used as a crucial part of their plan. They're on the run from the Empire who is chasing them off of Moncala and essentially has chased them back to the Rebel fleet and things go down. There is some really just incredible, wonderful Star Wars, so precise, so just an insane amount of work must go into presenting these visuals by Salvador LaRocca, uh, Guru AFX. 
you know, does such a great job with the ships because there's such a huge focus on the exteriors of ships and the explosions and everything going down. The colors and the tarnish and the grease and the wear and tear on these ships is such an iconic part of Star Wars. And I think the the color and the entire art team just does such a perfect job of realizing that and making it feel so real and so perfect uh, and perfectly visualized for what we know and love in the films into uh, the comic book form. But we kind of wrap up the Mutiny of Moncala story and then we pick up some other threads that have been laid down, not just by Kieran Gillen, but by Jason Aaron in his huge epic giant run on this series leading up to this point. And then we're moving swiftly towards the big, huge issue number 50, which I'm so excited about. We get a little preview of the cover of issue number 50, which is ridiculously gorgeous. Gorgeous cover. Yes. That's a Travis Charre cover Mm -hmm. and he's a magic man. But the burst of copy that goes with the cover Mm -hmm. in the ad says, in this issue, hope dies. And the end of 49 I whisper screamed, no. Yeah. Very upset. It's going to break my heart, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some big moves are, are set to be made and uh, it's it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Can't wait. Admiral Akbar. I just want to hug him. Yep. Yeah. Touch his weird arms. <laughs> anyway, on to Star Wars The Last Jedi number three. This is the adaptation of the movie film written by Gary Whitta, art by Michael Walsh, colors by Mike Spicer, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And, uh, you know... I would like to petition for Michael Walsh to draw a book about porgs. Pork, mm. Maybe just Chewie and the Porgs. Ooh, that's a good title, Ooh, right? Wow. Star Wars, colon, Chewie and the Porgs. I'm imagining that being essentially like the Immortal Hulk, but <laughs> <laughs> like Chewie is the Hulk and the story is from the perspective of the Porgs just trying oh. not to be tasty dinner. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, this one, you know, gets us through a lot of the Kanto bite action, some shirtless Kylo Ren. Oh, yeah. Oh, all that big barrel chest action that you're looking for. Uh, a lot of Luke and uh, Ray business more of the dialogue uh the monologue interior stuff that uh we've been enjoying from luke Mm -hmm. the last couple of issues which is terrific i you know getting that part of the story has been a really neat uh bonus for this adaptation Mm -hmm. next up is weapon x number 19 this is the conclusion of Sabretooth's in charge and i guess as you might expect when Sabretooth takes charge I have a hard time imagining any circumstance when that would be like come out to be a good thing because he's just so like all action, just slash first, think later that like he's bound to be taken and kind of lured into these really terrible situations. As we move towards the end of this story arc, it's really, really interesting. There's a kind of really unique tussle going down between Omega Red and Sabretooth because they have similarities in some ways. They have some, some philosophical similarities and things in common. They also have some really big differences, uh, and that's exploited in some really, really fun ways. But essentially, as that's going down, as Sabretooth is leading the charge, the rest of the crew, uh, made up, of course, of Logan, Domino, Lady Deathstrike, Warpath, they're trying to keep up and do their best to try and contain him and uh, where he's inevitably headed. But uh, that doesn't really end up going super well. And uh, it's cool because this team is so fraught. Like, I feel like they're on a knife edge at all times because they're all so 
just pissed off all the time and they're all just there very few of them have just kind of like the capacity to step back and be like hey guys let's talk about this you know like that's not really something you're gonna find in weapon x so you know Sabretooth taking charge and then uh you know forcing his teammates to react and kind of maybe putting the the very fragile dynamics of the team uh and throwing them up in the air Uh, i guess we'll see where they land as we move into sickle which is going to be the next story arc, which I'm really excited about as Omega Red continues to expand his influence on this team and on this story. But, I mean, like I said, you get what you expect when Sabretooth decides to lead things. This cover is my very nearly my favorite cover, but this one by Raza, so good, as always. Yep. Killing it with the covers. I don't think the artist Yildare Sinar gets enough love and credit for the work that they're doing on this book. Uh, There's, like... He balances the grit of this mostly villain team and the ultra-violence of their many acts with humanity and the humor that Greg and Fred write so well. Uh, His facial expressions, so on point. You've got Warpath with his concern about Logan, Sabretooth with his sneers and his, like, scary smiles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, he smiles, but there's danger. It's just a dangerous man. And Domino's eye rolls. Man, it's just... Craig and Fred having fun with their dark sides. It is whew, what they do to Omega Red at the end of the issue. Mm-hmm. Plus, it has a baby tiger. Yeah. Like, you need a baby tiger in your life in there's a comic book. A, there's a great is... moment when a character is just like, hey, catch. Yeah. And they just kind of underhand toss a baby tiger to yeah. another character, which I loved. That, that baby tiger gets tossed around a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having cats, I know they don't like being grown right, right. at all. <laughs> a baby tiger probably hates it even more. Yeah. Next X-Men book is X-Men Gold. Number 29 is part four of Till Death Do Us Part. And every issue of this arc, we open with a flashback of a big moment in Kitty Pride and Peter Rasputin's relationship. Every time it's heartbreaking. Here it's the uh, the scene where Kitty finds out that Peter has died of the legacy virus. And it's drawn by Dave Marquez uh, with colors by Matthew Wilson. And it just crushes. Mm-hmm. So good. Such like... Smart storytelling in the silences and, and the the looks and the reactions and oof, oof. But this issue is written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Geraldo Borges, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by Corey Petit. Oh, man, there's just, this is like the love conquers all issue. It is Kitty saving Colossus, Colossus saving Kitty, both of them doing everything they can and willing to sacrifice their lives, not just for each other, but for the world. Oh. Man, the roller coaster of their love is tremendous. I, I love it. Love conquers all, Tuck. That's right. And another team of mutants fighting in the name of love, fighting in the name of acceptance is X-Men Red. Uh, and this is issue number five of that series. It's written wonderfully by Tom Taylor with art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by Corey Petit. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the episode when I was talking about Dazzler, which you know, felt like more of a, a, a personal, small-scale, individual iteration of the mutant struggle, the inhuman struggle. This is, you know, it takes those same exact principles but expands it to this global, political, international uh, struggle. And it's something that Jean and her crew are up against in a really big way. Essentially what's gone down recently, uh, the team was, uh, you know, able to take refuge in Wakanda. But now they're, they've kind of been forced out to deal with the problems in the world. 
Cassandra Nova has infected a bunch of world leaders with uh, nanite sentinels, which are kind of fueling this mutant hatred across the world. They're being, you know, twisted and tortured from within. And the X-Men have to deal with that in their very unique way. I loved the concept explored here because, yeah, certainly this group of X-Men have some awesome powers. There's so much fun to see. But this issue, I think more than other ones, even in the past, explored the idea that the X-Men's greatest weapon can be truth. The X-Men's greatest weapon can be empathy and self and kind of forcing self-reflection on others instead of just brute force. That kind of other side of it, which is certainly explored in, you know, I think innately in all X-Men books, but is being hit like so perfectly nail in the head with this series by Tom Taylor. My adoration from as a writer is well noted. I think he's wonderful. And like I said, I think the statements coming out of this issue about what the mutants mean to each other, to the world, it's the perfect idea and exploration of the idea behind the X-Men. It's great. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to give big love to the Sentinel, Trinary's Mm -hmm. Sentinel here, which Gabby, I presume has helped yeah. decorate yeah. uh the, the sentinel has these beautiful like uh rainbow on it mm-hmm. happy pride month yeah and uh, uh like this cool flower and it just i want a toy <laughs> of this heartwarming yeah. you know sentinel that becomes a protector mm-hmm. in the in the storyline i think that's such an important message underlying things it's something that is so symbolic of death and persecution of mutants has turned into a symbol of love mm-hmm and hope and empathy and compassion that you're talking about and and saving them. And mm-hmm. even the characters are like, we're riding in a sentinel? Yeah, yeah. This is freaking me out. <laughs> uh, it's really good. I, you know, I'm with you. I love Tom Taylor's work so much. Also, we've got Namor mm-hmm. up in here. And he, I admit, fully clothed Namor is not my favorite Namor. <laughs> but Mamu draws him, especially in this new outfit that is for this series, so damn cool. Yeah. And there's this panel where he's rising out of the water. He just looks so, he looks as he should, yeah. regal yeah. and powerful and cool. And on that page, there's a line that's, and he just says, the tide's coming in. Mm-hmm. And he says it. And it's not a threat, but it is definitely a threat yeah. from Namor. Oh, I love yeah, it. Really now I, I really want a Namor series by Tom Taylor. Oh, yeah. Oh, Namor and, and Honey Badger. Give me that. <laughs> Give me that. Oh. All right. Uh, we also have a True Believers issue out this week, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Birth of Giant-Man number one. Maybe that's where I saw the cover mm. to the, the issue that was tied to the Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, one-off this week. That's mm. what it was. I was right. looking at the True Believers issue. Yeah. So you can read that for $1 and get the, uh, the follow-up this week as well. Look at that. It all works out, Tucker. Nice. What do we got for collections this week? Collections this week include Ant-Man and the Wasp Adventures, Ant-Man Astonishing Origins, Black Bolt Volume 2 Home Free, Captain America by Wade Insomni, Home of the Brave, Deadpool World's Greatest Volume 2, Marvel's Ant-Man and the Wasp Prelude, Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man Omnibus, Runaways by Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona Omnibus, and Tales of Suspense Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier. On the uh, Marvel app this week, there's some issues in there, some classic New Warriors, which I really love. Uh, Mephisto versus limited series, which is really, really cool. Way back in the 80s, it's Mephisto versus the Fantastic Four versus X-Factor versus the X-Men versus the Avengers. Just cool, weird, fun comics uh, with a, don't call him the devil, <laughs> guy in red. Digital collections, uh, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Big in Japan, 
highly suggested, highly suggested, highly suggested, <laughs> along with Mephisto verses and some other stuff that's really neat. On freshly digitized Marvel Unlimited, you've got Punisher Invades the Nom, Final Invasion, number one, and then Punisher War Journal, 53, and some other issues. So some really cool stuff from Punisher there, plus a bunch of issues of the Nom, tying those all together. Those are some highlights. You can see the full list of the comics coming to the apps, comic shop, and all that good stuff on marvel.com, as well as we'll put links in the show notes. I think that's it. Yeah. We did it. How you feeling? Uh, My index finger is tired from pointing up with big number one for all the great number ones this week. Indeed, Rooney. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.